0: My name is Brian Culbertson. I am the lead pastor here at Refuge. And um, let's do a little back and forth here. I, I don't do this a lot because I know it's awkward. You guys are mostly introverts and you don't like to talk. And, um, but y'all remember the trash TV of the 1990s? Uh, I'll give you the first one, Jerry Springer. Give me, give me another one. Don't know. Okay, good for you. What would you say? Maury Povich, yeah, Sally, Sally Jesse, Raphael, not I'm not going that direction, but that is kind of, kind of trash, that is kind of trash, although I had the Dylan haircut and sideburns, man, I was and I used a curling iron to fix my hair, that, that's too much information there, <laughs> we're talking about judgment tonight, so you cannot judge me about that. We got Geraldo, Jenny Jones, Judge Judy, I don't know, Ricky Lake, I don't know what we were doing in the 90s, but we we like shows called I Married a Horse on here. That was one of the programs they had. Um, Geraldo had one, Mom, Will You Marry Me? That's interesting. Um, Sally Jesse had one called The Kids Ain't Mine. I think they had that one repeated over and over. I checked this week, the highest rated shows, and they would repeat different themes. The highest rated ones they had across the board, I mean, even Donahue and Oprah and all of them, the highest rated shows were shows with drag queens and shows about women with large breasts so there you go why did we watch that crap? I mean, what, what was the fascination? Or let's, let's bring it a little more modern. What's the fascination with the royal family this past week and watching that interview and wanting to peer into their, their homes? Or uh, our family, we just watched the little Britney Spears Time magazine thing, and you know, it's really more about her dad than it is her and, and the drama with that. Why, why, do we, why do we watch that? Why do we care? Or maybe first reaction when you see this picture. First, first thing that comes into your head, I, just, I want you to hold on to that feeling there. I saw it on Facebook this week. It was going around, and people were saying, what do you think of this man? And like thousands upon thousands of comments, which were kind of interesting to read. What if I told you this guy was a youth minister who helped bring over 190 kids to Christ? I'd be lying if I told you that, but what, what if I did? Would that, would that change the way you feel, maybe? Why do we look down upon the mom coming in the night that can't control her kids? Or why do we judge that guy driving the Ferrari and we're like, oh, that guy? Or why do we we look down upon that friend that overposts on social media? And we all got to, maybe I am that friend, I don't know. (laughs) It's our propensity to judge others to find their flaws, to feel superior, to make our little comparisons charts, to build our hierarchies, and it's like a drug for all of us. And like any addiction, it can be a drug that's hard to break. We're going through the Gospel of Luke, and we've, for the last three weeks, been looking at the Sermon on the Plain. Uh, This is part three in our final week of looking at that teaching, and it's just Jesus coming down. He's built a following. He's got disciples now, and he's teaching them what a life living in the kingdom of God looks like, the kingdom that is here now and the kingdom that will one day fully be restored. And it's interesting in my Bible, and I don't know in yours or not, verse 36, where we're going to start tonight, it actually, there's a cutoff in it. The next section is called Do Not Judge. This one is actually in the prior section. But for me, when I read this verse, it actually fits in the section better that we're doing tonight. And it's simply Jesus saying, be merciful even as your Father in heaven is merciful. We ended last week talking about being adopted sons and daughters of God, that because of that adoption, we are rich in love, we are rich in mercy, we are rich in grace, so we don't have to be tight-fisted when we hand out grace, that we can spend mercy like it's burning a hole in our pocket. And so Jesus then begins this next little section with this simple verse, Do not judge others, or you will be judged. Mercy and judgment, those are polar opposites. If you're merciful, you won't judge people. And if you're judgmental, you probably don't show a lot of mercy. How have Christians done on this teaching that Jesus gives us over the years? I googled it this week, and I just googled Christian perception by non-believers, and I found an actual Barna survey that was done in 2008. Maybe we've improved a lot since 2008, but I doubt it. Here's the finding. These are non-Christians being asked. Eighty-seven percent of those asked said Christians are viewed as judgmental. Eighty-seven percent. Eighty-five percent viewed us as hypocritical. Only three percent of people ages 16 to 29 had a favorable view of Christians. And they cited excessive contempt and our unloving attitudes. Jesus got a bad reputation. He got a bad reputation for eating with sinners and gluttons and drunks and visiting the homes of these disreputable sinners. Christians, followers of Jesus, also have gotten a bad reputation, but not for those same reasons, but for being judgmental of those same people that Jesus loved. Here's a few more notes from that survey by Barna. It said, Christians like to hear themselves talk. They are arrogant about their beliefs. And they don't seem very compassionate. Now, ironically, the statements that were made there about us Christians is, in fact, being judgmental of Christians. And so being judging or judgmental isn't just a Christian problem or a Christian condition. It's a human condition. We all judge others. And so as I've considered this idea all week, I really tried to be mindful of my judging other people and the judgments I make. And I'll be honest, it's been overwhelming. I mean, I make snap judgments about other people nonstop, every minute of every day. But this isn't totally bad. It's how we're wired. It's how we survived. We have to make quick judgments so that our brains can quickly move along to the next thing. If we spent hours analyzing every interaction and every situation as human beings, we would be catatonic. We cannot do that. We can't focus in that way. And so we need to quickly look at a person and say, that person is safe, or that person will harm us. Or if we are going to smile at that person, then we're going to get stuck in a three-hour conversation. We need to be able to make those kinds of judgments. (laughs) Kennedy's getting ready to head off to college, and I've heard Karen say multiple times, don't trust everyone, especially boys. But that (laughs) that is making a judgment. The problem is, and those judgments are fine, we, we have to do that to survive, but the problem is, is when we become not just the sheriff that's trying to keep our lives safe, but then we become the prosecuting attorney, and we become the judge, and we become the jury, and we become the warden, and we become the executioner. And so let me be clear, from a biblical perspective, judgment without mercy is a sin. Looking down upon others and thinking you're better than them is a sin. An attitude of superiority is a sin. Finding joy in being critical of others is sin. Carl Jung, the great psychologist, Karen, he's Swiss, right? I think I think he's Swiss psychologist. I should have looked it up, but he said this. He said thinking is difficult. That's why most people judge. Christianity is a thinking faith. I've said this over and over. And so we need to, as Christians, be willing to move past that initial judgment and be open to changing our way of thinking. And so imagine going to the grocery store and you're there in the checkout line and there's a lady in front of you and she's rude. She's rude to you. She's rude to the cashier. She's got a nasty look on her face. She's just not a nice human being. She stomps out of the store she about runs over you in your parking lot, and you, and you make a judgment. You're like, that's not a nice person. Some of you might even use the B word on that. I don't know. And then the lady shows up here at church. Oh, gosh, there's that lady from the grocery store. And, and you're kind of standoffish because you're like, here's this lady again, and she's just acting aloof. She isn't friendly. She sits by herself in the back row. You can tell she doesn't want to talk to anybody. But you're like, well, she came to church, and Brian says we're supposed to be nice to the people who come here, so so you you go and you introduce yourself. But as you do this, you can tell she has no interest in talking to you. She acts annoyed that you even came and bothered her, and you make another judgment that you hope she finds another church. But she continues to come to church, and she starts to show up to your small group, and week by week, you see her face begin to soften. Her body language begin to soften, and one day... She breaks down and she says, a year ago I lost my husband and daughter in an accident. I've been learning to live life alone. I've been dealing with depression. I'm already an introvert. And so being able to show up in a place and just be here and not be judged has changed my life. You make a new judgment. But this judgment now is filled with mercy and grace because you know her story. All of our judgments in life should be filled with that level of mercy and grace. There's a saying, and it's been assigned to Plato, Robin Williams, and everybody in between, and it's just basically everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Now, I don't know who said it, but that's a good one. You ought to put that in your back pocket. But we have this innate impulse to be right, to be better, to be superior, to create this hierarchy, this greater than, this less than and we judge others. This is the one-year anniversary this past week of the COVID shutdown, and boy, have we seen humanity's judgment on full display. Who just coughed? Every time you cough in public now, you feel judged. (laughs) And You got to say, it's allergies. Everybody says it's (laughs) allergies. If you wear a mask, you're judged. You're an idiot. If you don't wear a mask, you're judged. You're an idiot. Never mind that there are people on both sides of the aisle that debate this issue that have much higher IQs than all of us in advanced degrees, and they're trying to work through it. But we choose not to think, and we just make quick judgments about other people by the decisions they are make, based on our limited scope of information and our biases. And so this is how we operate. We'll judge the poor, lazy, poor money managers. And then we'll judge the rich, greedy. They must be lucky. They are born with a silver spoon. We judge someone who's pretty, they're vain, all they care about is is how they look. They must have no brain. We we judge those who are faithful and devout in the church, those Pharisees. We judge our leaders, wherever arrogant, bossy. We judge short people. You have no control over your height. And we judge short people, Napoleon complex. We judge the educated, other pompous, they're elitist. We judge the uneducated, they're simpletons. We judge those who are physically fit. They must spend all their time at the gym. We judge guys like me with dad bods. Oh, he sure let himself go. (laughs) We judge people because of the clothes they wear, the cars they drive. Even right now, it's the most wonderful time of the year if you're a Hoosier because it's the NCAA tournament time. And even though my team's not in it, we still love basketball. And so it's the most lovable or best time of year. But, But being a coach this time of year or really any time of year is tough. Why? Because you're always under constant judgment. You're being judged by people whose greatest athletic accomplishment is getting off the couch and getting a bag of Cheetos and walking back and being out of breath. But you're being judged. So Jesus says next, he says, Do not condemn others, or it will come back against you. Forgive others, and you will be forgiven. Give, and you will receive. Wherever there is judgment there will be condemnation. Wherever there is judgment, you're going to find a lack of forgiveness. Wherever there is judgment, you're going to find a lack of generosity. But to follow what Missy Elliott says, we need to put our thing down, flip it, and reverse it. (laughs) Wherever there is condemnation, there's a lack of forgiveness. Wherever there is lack of forgiveness, there's a lack of generosity. And when you find those three things, you will find then a judgmental person. I like to people watch. I don't know if anybody else is a people watcher like me. If Karen goes shopping, usually I find a reason to go sit outside the store and, and just watch people go by. And I don't know anything about them, but I just love creating stories. It's the creative part of me and, like, figuring out what their story is. And I'm not advocating this because it's, it's stories of judgment most of the time. But that's how we go through life. We, we build these stories of judgment with the people we meet. Look at the car He's driving. No way. That guy's a generous person. Or we say, if they'd work a little harder, they could have a car that runs. Or we say, we talked about repeating those things in the songs. I've heard people say these modern worship songs. These people today, they just like these songs that repeat over and over. They're such shallow Christians. We make that judgment. Or the people on the other side. Man, if the old people really loved Jesus, they'd be willing to adapt their musical style so we could bring more people in. Let's talk about gossip. Both the person speaking the gossip or the person enjoying hearing the gossip, that is quintessential judgment. It checks all the boxes. It turns judgment into entertainment. There's no love in gossip, there's no humility in gossip, and there's certainly no mercy in gossip. And so why do those of us who call ourselves Christ followers struggle so much with this command. We struggle so much with judgment. I think one thing is imbalance. This week, Karen, she went online and she saw a Christian article that she disagreed with, and it really got her fired up, and she couldn't remain silent, and so she commented a few times. And she came home and told me about it. I'm like, oh, I'm surprised I didn't see that. But then she started reading all the comments, and this one got a lot of traction. And what she noticed is there are basically two kinds of Christians out there that were commenting on this article. The first group is the God is grace people. These are the people that are very open-minded. They're very tolerant. They like to focus on Jesus' benevolence. They say Jesus came into the world too, not to condemn it, but to save it. These people tended to think very missionally. These are the grace people, very concerned about compassion, just not so much truth and justice. And so on the flip side then, and that you've got the God is truth people. These are the people who recognize God is holy, like we talked about a few weeks ago when we sang about tonight. These are the people that know that tolerance is not a fruit of the Spirit. That God didn't tolerate Adam's sin. He had to send him out of the garden. That God is so intolerant of sin that he sent a flood. It's this immense act of divine judgment. And so these are the truth people. They're very concerned about sin and justice, but they don't do much with love and mercy. Of course, Jesus, we know, was perfectly balanced. He was both and. He came full of grace and full of truth. But most of us, we're not full of grace and truth. We plant our flag in one side or the other. We embrace grace without the truth, and we compromise the values of God's kingdom. Or we embrace truth without grace, which leads to harsh judgment of those who can't keep the rules. And so we've got this imbalance. And then you mix in with that our own inclinations. give you an example. For some, generosity comes pretty easy. You're the kind of person, you'd give the shirt off your back. It's never been an issue for you to give 10% to the church. You're like, that's no problem. I'm working towards 20%. I'd love to give more. And because you've always been giving like that and it's never been a problem for you to give, it's created this perpetual feedback loop where you give and you receive blessings and it just further ingrains this into your spirit of generosity. And so because generosity comes easy for you, when you see someone who isn't generous like you, you judge them severely. Don't they know what the church could do if everyone gave like me? Doesn't this person know what the Bible says about generosity? And then we feel better about ourselves because generosity comes easy for us, and so we've used that as the benchmark for spirituality. Earl Nightingale says, When you judge others, you do not define them, you define yourself. Sure, you're generous, but how are you at building others up? How's your prayer life going? How are you at showing mercy? I'll be honest, I struggle with this kind of issue as a leader. I'm an entrepreneur. That's how I'm wired. That's how my brain works. And so I assume that everyone should be an entrepreneur, that they should be self-starters. And so I get frustrated, and I judge people when you need to be told what to do in a work environment. But the thing is, we're not all wired the same way. Just because someone is wired different than you is no reason to judge. And we'll do this exact same thing with sense. We're all inclined towards different sins. And so we'll be very forgiving to those people who struggle with the same sins that we do. And we'll judge those who struggle with sins that we can easily overcome. But the biggest reason why I believe we are so judgmental is insecurity. We are still afraid. We're just saying, I'm no longer a slave to fear because why I am a child Of God. That's why we're not supposed to fear. That's what Brandy talked about because of our identity. We should be hanging our hats on the knowledge that we are children of God and not have fear, but we fear. We fear for our own identity. And so we judge others so we can enhance our identity. We compare ourselves to others, making sure to put ourselves in the best light and others in the worst light. And then we begin to project those insecurities This week, we're flying up to Chicago to visit schools with Kennedy, and I was complaining. We got on the complaint, and it's Allegiant Airlines. If you ever float, those planes are scary as heck anyway, because it's $23 one-way trip, so you know what kind of airplane you're getting on. You're getting on this plane, and we're sitting down, and Another guy gets on the plane, and he's just one of those people. He's all disorganized. His stuff's everywhere. He's making a scene. He's talking loud. You can tell he just feels like he's special, and, you know, everybody should cater to him and pay attention to him. And I look at Karen, and I'm like, I literally laughed out loud. And, and what I'm doing is I'm, I'm judging him. And so my live-in therapist says to me, you know why you're so triggered by that guy? Because you're him. <laughs> you're projecting yourself onto him. When we judge others, it's often the very thing, whether consciously or subconsciously, that we struggle with. It's why those who aren't very trusting of others are usually the people you shouldn't trust. Herman Hess, he says, if you hate a person, you hate something in him that is part of yourself. What isn't part of ourselves doesn't trigger us, doesn't disturb that. Take that in for a moment think about that the next time you judge someone. And maybe if you're like me, when she told me that, it made me mad. I'm like, you're wrong. There's no way. But the more you meditate on it, when you're triggered by somebody and you begin to judge them, just take some time and think about it. Because the more you'll come to the conclusion that the things we judge in others can also lead us down the path of self-discovery with some of our own issues that we deal with. Verse 39 Jesus gives the following illustration. Can one blind person lead another? Won't they both fall into a ditch? It's a joke. Jesus just cracked a joke. I don't know if you all realize that or not. He's a funny guy. (laughs) And he's fully human. He's fully God. As fully human, he has a sense of humor. And sometimes he uses that sense of humor to help his students learn. That's why I try to be somewhat Comical here. You guys laugh occasionally. I appreciate that. But he says, essentially, the blind leading the blind. And here, the listeners would know he's referencing the blind Pharisees that he was constantly coming out against who are leading the blind people of Israel. The Pharisees have come along, and they've added tradition, and they've added rules, and they've added more requirements, more things to help us judge each other, help us rank each other, yet they were blind to forgiveness and compassion. And so Jesus is saying, if, if you, the people of Israel, continue to follow then then it's the blind leading the blind, and you're all going to end up in a ditch. Let me modernize that a little bit for you so it makes a little bit more sense. Someone is struggling with judging their spouse. They don't help enough. They don't do as much as me around the house. They don't care about this relationship like I do. Our sex life sucks. See, who they should go see is a marital counsel counselor somebody that can help them see and they need to take their spouse with them so they both can have their eyes opened but what I see happen this is friends of mine they're struggling in their marriage they're judging their spouse they go seek help from their recently divorced friends and it becomes the blind leading the blind and oftentimes they end up in the ditch of divorce Or maybe it's two friends who get together and you get together to gossip about a third friend. And instead of being there together and iron strengthening iron, as the Bible says, the two blind gossips lead each other down the drain. Or maybe it's that we judge those people. Whoever those people are, whether it's a race or or whatever, we or political group, whatever, we judge those people. And the only source of information we have is the media outlets that I won't even call news that validates our biases. It's the blind leading the blind into an echo chamber of hate. Jesus gives another illustration. He says, students are not greater than their teacher, but the student who is fully trained will become like the teacher. This is just another way of saying the same thing. It's the blind leading the blind. If you study with the Pharisee, at the end of the day, the best you're going to become is a Pharisee. If you want to learn to not judge others, then you need a teacher who is balanced. Balanced in truth and grace. You need a teacher who is secure in his identity. You need a teacher who can see past his biases and inclinations. There's only one teacher like that, and it's certainly not me. It's Jesus. That's why we need to be in his word. Verse 41 says, And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? I was meeting with our landlord for the building here this week and they're not Christians that I know of um, but they love what we do as a church and they, they really are, have been supportive and we've got a really great relationship and we just we're having a great conversation. Our lease is up this September, and I was sharing with them some of the options and ideas we had of maybe looking at some other spaces or doing some other things. And um, by the way, if you're here tonight, be in prayer for that, because we do have to start thinking down that path and make some decisions. So if you'd pray with me in that for some clarity, I'd appreciate it. But I told them, you know, about this church that had approached me and I'm um, talking to them and we talked about maybe sharing a space because we meet on Saturday night and they meet on Sunday mornings. Or we even talked about potentially merging and bringing our two congregations together and it's just initial conversations. And, you know, I'm just kind of feeling them out and doing the first meetings. And um, we were doing the online church back then. And they called me up. They said, Brian, you, you wore a hat this week. We don't really like that. And Brian, you, you got those tattoos. That's that's fine. I know you got a backstory or something where you got those, but we need you to cover those up. And then they were concerned. They begin to ask me these questions about the kinds of people we allowed to lead and serve within our church. And I'm sharing this with the landlord saying, Yeah, it didn't really work out because that's not gonna be a good fit for us. And the landlord just says, you know, people are so judgmental. And I was here on Thursday working on this sermon, so I just quickly said, you know, it's like we have a plank in our eye while trying to point out the speck in other people's eyes. And they cracked up. They had never heard that before, so they thought I just made it up right there on the spot, and the, it was a husband and wife. The lady said, I'm going to write that down, and she got out her notebook. <laughs> I'm like, well, Jesus said it. It's in the Bible, if you, if you can't remember later. This is probably my favorite metaphor in all of Scripture, and I don't think I've ever got to teach it before, but I know I've used it many times in servants because it's just 2,000 years removed from that metaphor, and it just works on so many levels. And I'm just going to, you know, help you guys out here a little bit. I got this plank I happen to have in my garage. I was lucky on the way in here tonight. This is me (laughs) with a plank in my eye. And this is Jordan over here, and she's got a little speck in her eye. And I'm like, Jordan, you need to deal with that. <laughs> You've got this speck in your eye, and I, you need to deal with that. I don't know what people are going to be thinking about you as a Christian, and I don't know how you're going to talk to them about the gospel. I don't know how you're going to love people because you, you're walking around with that speck in your eye, and I'm, I've got this big old plank over here in my eye. It's embarrassing. <laughs> Jesus says, how can you think of saying, friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye? When you can't see past the log in your own eye, he says, hypocrite. I think he yelled that out. He says, hypocrite. Let me pull out a microscope, Jordan, and look really close at that speck in your eye so I can judge you. While I ignore this big nasty plank that's hanging out of my eye. That's why 87% of non-Christians think of Christians as judgmental. That reason right there. We judge others out there while we ignore the planks in our own eyes. For years, it seems like since I've been a Christian and before, the Christian punching bag has been the LGBT community. I don't know why. We just want to beat up that community. Meanwhile, the church turns a blind eye to the skyrocketing divorce rate in the church. Or the porn epidemic among pastors in the church. And so what it is, if you've ever seen the game Three Card Monty, you know, where they're moving all the shells around or moving the cards around. It's like, let's move this all around and don't pay attention to what's happening over there. Let's, let's keep your focus over here. And so we'll be outraged because, oh my gosh, Starbucks said happy holidays. That's what they put on their cups. We judge them and we talk about it. Meanwhile, we ignore the fact that our family is falling apart because we spend every waking moment consumed by our phones. Or we'll say, look at that dress they let their daughter wear to prom. I can't, I can't believe that. Meanwhile, we're ignoring our lack of ever witnessing to the gospel. This big plank over here because God calls us to be witnesses to his grace. So if you ever read the Bible and you read Paul, he says things like, I'm the least of the saints. Or he says, I'm the chief of sinners. You know why he says that? Because he is well aware of that big old plank in his eyes. And so we need to put away our magnifying glasses and we need to put away our microscopes as we look for the specks in other people's eyes. And we need to start paying attention to the planks that are in our own lives and hearts. Because we know ourselves better than we know anyone. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. 365 days a year, we hear all the planks that are rattling around in our heads. Verse 42 continues Jesus says, First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Again, I'll quote Carl Jung. He says, Knowing our own darkness is the best method for dealing with the darkness in other people. I mean, he's being so biblical right there. What happens when we look for the logs in our eyes? Well, like I did this week, we become a lot more self-aware. We start realizing what we got going on in the junk in our lives. Tell you a quick story. I got home from the um, flight. We went Sunday, got home Monday night. It was a crazy trip, and my brother-in-law picked me up from the airport. And he's saying, oh, I was talking to my niece earlier today, or I think the day before, and she was driving home from work, and we're just talking, and boom, something hits her car from the car in front of her. And she's like, what the heck? What happened? And he says, is everything okay? And she's like, yeah, I guess so. I don't see any damage. And she gets home, and she finds this. (laughs) I'm like, well, that couldn't fit my sermon any better. I don't... (laughs) She had been driving around town for however long since that happened, (laughs) unaware of the plank sticking out of the front of her car. Everyone else could see the plank. I imagine there's a lot of judgment and finger pointing happening, but until she stopped her car and took an inventory of the damage, she couldn't see the plank in her car. That's why we need to live in a constant state of self-discovery, looking for the plank's In our eyes. Sometimes we even need to seek counsel to help us find those planks in our eyes. And we need to find those planks so that we know and we remember how much we've been forgiven, so that we become empathetic, so that we become forgiving, so that we can grow in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, and so we can see what's so amazing about grace. And so, Jesus finishes that sentence. He says, first get rid of the log in your own eye, then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Jesus never says, don't help other people with the specks in their eyes. In fact, scripture says otherwise. I'll give you one of many, Galatians 6.1. Paul says, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly, he's saying, you who have discovered the planks already in your eye should gently And humbly help that person back onto the right path. For me to be a good parent, sometimes I have to judge my kids. I have to monitor their behaviors. And so if I say to Emery, Emery, my youngest, she's nine now, stop running with the scissors. If she turns and looks at me and says, Dad, stop judging me, that would be wrong. And if I honored her request to stop judging her about running around with scissors, then I wouldn't be a very loving dad. But if I tell Emery, hey, Emery, stop running with those scissors. Meanwhile, I'm standing in a kayak with my chainsaw, sawing branches off of a tree, which I've done. (laughs) Don't judge. But I would need to deal with that plank first. Getting a speck out is an intimate, close-up, delicate Operation. So Jesus says, Get your plank out first. Then deal with the plank, or deal with the speck, rather, in your whose eyes? Those people out there's eyes? No, he says, In your friends' eyes. He's not giving us carte blanche permission to judge the world. He says, Deal with the specks with those who are your closest friends. And usually I tell you, you won't even know there's a speck in someone's eye, right? Because you can't see it unless they tell you, or unless you're close enough to them that, you know, you catch their eyes watering or red. So, this getting a plank out is just an intimate, close-up thing with our friends. And lastly, I'll say on this, a plank and a speck, a speck would be essentially a piece of that, a piece of sawdust. Plank and specks are the same substance, and so it's interesting. Jesus says, work out this issue in your life over here. And after you've worked through that, then you can help others in humility with that same issue that is dealing with the same stuff. So let me go back and close where we started Luke chapter 6, verse 36. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And I'll just add the words to you. It drives me crazy that this. Faith that I'm a part of, Christianity, is known. 87% of the people that we are judgmental hypocrites. Makes me crazy because whether we have a plank in our eye or a little speck in our eye, it doesn't really matter. The Bible says the wage of all sin is death. Whether it's a plank, whether it's a speck. And so we as Christians know the cost for Jesus to get the planks and the specks out of our eyes. We know that the only way to get those logs out is to come before the cross and to lay it down, where we did nothing to earn it, nothing to deserve it. And it's only then, when we do that, that we will then have the humility to stop judging others, to help them get the planks and the splinters and the dust out of their lives and our own. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time together this evening. We thank you for your word with so much wisdom, so much divine.